Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, as has already been mentioned, today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, and Advent means coming or arrival. The Advent season is the four-week period preceding Christmas where we, together as a faith community, anticipate and wait for the coming of Jesus. And I don't know where you are these days, but for me, this year's Advent has arrived at just the right time. Yesterday, I saw a headline. I was at a grocery store walking out, and I saw a headline in some paper, and it basically said, what will go wrong next? Question mark. I don't know where you're at, but I'm wearied by the heartaches of life. Uh, some people in our church family have been hammered very hard in recent days by the heartaches of life. I'm tired of all the political unrest that actually is starting to feel like it's always going to be there from now on. And I myself am tired of it. The war in Ukraine wears on and people on both sides are suffering. And it's impossible to read about this and to see these things unfolding and not feel deep compassion for those who are trapped in this. The endless tensions and tremors, many of which we considered in our previous series, uh, just continue to rattle our society. And again, just speaking personally, have taken a toll on my soul. And I realize real lives are often shattered in all of these difficult situations. So it's one thing for me to stand here and kind of gripe about it, but I recognize real lives are often shattered in these difficult situations, and there are no easy answers, there are no quick fixes, there is no magic finger snap that will make it all better. But the Advent season brings with it a renewal of hope. And uh, I don't, again, I need a renewal of hope today. And I look forward over the next month of us waiting for God together and celebrating his arrival and being renewed in hope. Our Advent series is called Behold the Beauty. You can see the image up on the screen. And what we're hoping to do through this series is look through the chaos and the pain and the disappointment of this life and world and behold the beauty of the Advent story. The image we're using is up on the screen. And the rich colors of this image and the abstract style I found reconnect me to the mystery of Advent. They invite me to once again consider what is actually happening in this season that Christians around the world are celebrating and to wonder and awe once again about God in the flesh. Throughout the Christmas story, people like Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the shepherds are amazed, is the word often used, about what is happening. It's so out there, it's so beyond the realm of thoughts, it's so past our ability to just simply comprehend that some in the Christmas story in the Bible have a hard time even believing what is happening is actually happening. They are left to simply ponder the meaning in their own thoughts. Sometimes they actually are rendered speechless by the extravagance of what is happening, even a bit afraid of it all because these events cannot be flicked away with formulaic reasoning. These events point to something big, something 
divine. What's happening in the Advent story is actually far bigger than our lives, our hurts, our disappointments. Something is happening in the Advent story that deals with the ultimate meaning of everything. And that has a way of leaving us short on words, if, that is, we have a little bit of wisdom. Just kind of stepping back and beholding the beauty of it all. That's what I hope we do collectively over the next four weeks. I hope over the next four weeks the troubles and trials of our lives and of this world will shrink in comparison to the magnitude of God's beautiful Advent story. And today we're talking about God's intention in this story, meaning God's plan for humanity and for the world. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of having to move from one apartment or one home to another? I had this thought as I was thinking about this. Hell is you live in one spot for a day, Then you have to pack everything up and move to another spot. After that, you pack everything. It's just one constant exercise in moving. Moving, at least in my opinion, is one of life's uglies. It's right up there with root canals and colonoscopies. (laughs) The thousands of details that have to be arranged for a move. Every drawer examined and Pen and paper clips saved or tossed, every box on every shelf, in every cabinet, every closet with every coat, shirt, hat, shoe, and hanger, sorted and sifted and saved or thrown, a warehouse of boxes and bubble wrap takes over our home. Moving is one of life's looming and daunting projects. There's so much to do. No idea where to start. No idea how to get me and my stuff from here to there by then. A big giant mess and no idea how to wade through it. It can be overwhelming, as you probably know. And for some of us, when we're staring at this massive project, it can be paralyzing. We actually have no idea where to begin, and it's just easier to eat another slice of pie and watch another show. Hopefully, little gremlins will come and take care of it all for us. But daunting as moving can be, and overwhelming as it can be, something changes when someone competent steps up and makes a plan. Because when there's a plan, even though the mess is still great and the process is still difficult, at least now there's a plan. There's a course of action. Someone competent is sorting out the big giant mess and starting to move it toward a resolution. So with that, I want to ask you to stand for our scripture reading. I've chosen today our scripture from 2 Peter. Chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. And just to kind of, I'll talk about this in a minute, but the folks that Peter is writing to, these folks were struggling. They were in difficult circumstances. They were not in a culture friendly to their faith. They were dealing with the difficulties and the heartaches of life in the world. And Peter writes in verse 1, 
starting on in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the, mag- from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I mentioned, Peter is writing to those who've been discouraged, and they've been discouraged in particular by false teachers who have come along and denied the second advent of Jesus. So, these false teachers are saying, yes, Jesus came. That's the first advent. That's what we're celebrating this month. That's Christmas. Yes, Jesus died, crucifixion on Good Friday. Yes, he resurrected Easter Sunday. But, they said, he is not coming again. There is no second advent on the horizon doesn't take any imagination at all if all of a sudden someone were to come to us and say, hey, by the way, the world's in the state it's in, there's chaos, there's all this other stuff, but just so you know, Jesus is not coming back ever again. That would be rather disheartening and discouraging. And Peter's readers are struggling in life and they're suffering at the hands of their oppressors. And by teaching this, these false prophets are heaping discouragement on the hurting and squashing their hope, and that's the point. They are squashing the hope they have. Because if Jesus is not coming again, then there really is no plan. This whole chaotic mess called the world in all of its brokenness is not moving toward an ultimate resolution. So Peter writes, and essentially this is what he says. Hey, we didn't make this stuff up when we told you about Jesus coming in power. We actually saw his majesty. We actually heard God the Father call Jesus his beloved son and the voices of those in the past, like Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. Their words, Peter says, and he uses this phrase, their words are completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to them as a light shining in a dark place. The Old Testament scriptures, Peter continues, were words from God given to his prophets, so there is a plan. God is working it out. This whole big chaotic mess is indeed moving toward a resolution under the guiding hand of God's Spirit. See, the beginning, the beauty of Advent begins with the realization that it is part of God's big and beautiful plan that he has been unfolding since the very beginning of creation. And in the midst of all the mess and all the chaos and all the heartache, I know for me today, I need a reminder of this big and beautiful plan. And this big and beautiful plan starts 
on the first pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis. The Bible says the earth was formless and empty and dark, but the Spirit of God was hovering. This is before anything had been created. And then God creates, we're told, by the power of His Word. He doesn't take existing raw materials and, like an engineer, put things together. He speaks, and things come into being. He speaks His creations, every one of His creations, into existence. And God said, and there was, is the pattern in Genesis. The sun, and moon, and sky, and earth, and oceans, and land, and plants, and animals. He spoke, and they came into existence. Human beings were the crown of God's creation. Male and female were created, Genesis tells us, in his image, to be his governing agents over this new and perfect world called Eden. Eden was paradise on earth, or if you prefer, Eden was quite literally heaven on earth. God in perfect union with people. People in perfect union with God. People in perfect union with nature and with each other. Every plant and animal and the sun, moon, and stars knew their role in this paradise. The man and the woman knew their role in this paradise. This was literally heaven on earth. Again, this is God's beautiful plan. This is his big plan. Eden was literally heaven on earth. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray. Eden was that. God's kingdom had come on earth as it was in heaven. Had we been a reporter live on the scene, we would have described it with words like joy, harmony, unity, love, peace. We would describe it with this rich Hebrew word we've talked about many times, the word shalom, flourishing and wholeness for every creature. The man and woman were to be God's governing agents of this new world. They were to, in the language of Genesis, rule over the fish, birds, livestock, wild animals, plants, and trees. They were to work the garden and take care of it. Rule over is kingdom. It's kingdom language. And this is all part of God's big and beautiful plan, that his perfect and beautiful kingdom would come on earth through human beings whose purpose, sole purpose, was to fulfill God's will and live out his plan. God blessed the man and woman, Genesis says, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number, fill the earth and kingdom language, subdue it. Rule over everything. Again, kingdom language. This is about God's kingdom being lived out on earth through human beings whose sole purpose is the will of their father. And when this project of creation was finished, we're told in Genesis, God stepped back and saw all that he had made, and he said, this is very good. And we're also told, Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. My friends, this is shalom. Flourishing for all, as each does what it was created to do and be. Heaven now has an outpost 
on earth. The man and woman living in love and unity with God and with each other, ruling over God's creation exactly the way God would rule over his creation. Everything has its place and its role, and everything is fully satisfied with its place and with its role. So formless, empty, and dark has become formed, full, and exceedingly good. But, and there always is one, human beings wanted more. We always do. Enough is never enough. So the man and woman rejected their place and role and tried to grab God's place and role. So you see what's embedded in this? That part of the beauty, part of the richness, part of the goodness, part of shalom is human beings having the freedom to choose what they want. No robots here. No pre-programmed, okay, they're going to do everything I say. Okay, off you go. Human beings given the freedom to choose what they want. This is all part of God's beautiful and good plan. And man and woman rejected their place and role, and they tried to grab God's place and role. And what happened in a phrase? All hell broke loose. And what's happening in a phrase? All hell is still breaking loose. Every speck of evil and wrong and sin and hurt And heartache has its roots in humanity's rebellion against God. The phrase, what will go wrong next? The answer is all kinds of things because of humanity's rebellion. Formless and empty and dark have returned with a vengeance. Chaos erupted and disrupted paradise. Ruling over has ever since been distorted. And often disastrous. Heaven is no longer on earth. The mess is massive. Shattered glass everywhere. Boxes everywhere. Suffering everywhere. Confusion. Distortion. Fear. The chaos is uncontrollable. The chaos is overwhelming. It creates this kind of paralysis of what do we do now? But, and this is a good one. God is competent. And right from the very moment all hell broke loose, he had a plan. Genesis 3 and verse 15. This is after sin has entered, after man and woman decided, we want to be you, God. And all of a sudden, curse and shame, everything's breaking loose. And God comes to the serpent who tempted them in the first place. And he says, the woman's offspring will one day crush your head. This, Genesis 3.15, is the first prophecy in the Bible about the eventual coming Messiah. The very thing we are celebrating this month and waiting for was first talked about in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. A woman's child, Jesus, from his mother Mary, will crush evil's children. Sin, chaos, death, distortion, curse, hurt, pain, Suffering. So God's big and beautiful plan was first advertised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Now, when I just take one of my three timeouts in this life and chaotic world, and I say, wait a second, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, 
God had a plan. And even in the midst of this mess now, if I go all the way back and say, but wait a minute, right from the beginning of the mess, God had a plan to move the mess back to shalom. I find that astoundingly hopeful. And his plan, what is it in simple terms? His plan in simple terms is to restore Eden. His plan is to create a community of those who follow his lead, who seek first his will and kingdom, and who work with him to restore shalom on the earth. So, in Genesis chapter 12, in fact, let me back up. If you look at the story, Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 4 to 11 is the demise of human beings in the world now infected with sin. In Genesis 12, God chose Abraham to be the father of his people Israel. In that same chapter, God said that through the nation of Israel, the whole world would be blessed. Another reference to the coming Messiah. Then through Moses, he gave the Israelites the law and the teachings so they knew his will and could fulfill it. And then he told King David that he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne and reign and rule forever. Kingdom. Again, pointing to the coming Messiah, Jesus, and the kingdom he would usher in. Through all the troubles and trials of the people of God in the Old Testament... What did the prophets do? The prophets kept pointing to the day when the Messiah would come and the work of shalom and restoring Eden would take a giant leap forward. So think about it. A people, Abraham's people, the Israelites, restored to God and to each other, who, through whom the world is blessed, following after a king who will reign forever, named Jesus, and fulfilling his will. This is God's big and beautiful plan. And he's guiding all of history toward the day when Jesus will finally reign completely as king and Eden will be fully restored. I don't know if you realize this, but your life, in whatever detail it's in, and mine, in whatever situation that I'm facing, our lives are caught up as followers of Jesus into this big, grand, beautiful plan. And we behold the beauty of Advent when we pause, time out number two, in the midst of the mess, and we realize this big and beautiful plan of God entered a new era with the coming of Jesus Christ. It is, however, a slow plan, as you well know. Religion, I think, is the result of losing God's big plan for the world. Let me say that again. Religion, and I mean that in a not-so-good sense, is the result of losing God's big plan for the world. And here's what I mean. When we forget the big plan or ignore it or flick it aside for whatever reason, all we've got left is religion, some rituals, some activities to perform, to try and keep our head above water in this crazy world. But when we step back and see the big and beautiful plan of God from the beginning, it has a way of reframing whatever might be happening in my life at any given moment. And especially reframing the hard stuff that's, that happens in this world. 
But let's be straight about this. When we look at our own lives or when we look at the world today, we have to wonder, shalom, flourishing for all, wholeness, where? Point one spot, one square inch where flourishing seems to be happening. God may have a plan, but let's be straight. His plan often seems overmatched by the anti-shalom we see and experience or read about every day. Shootings, suicides, poverty, broken families, disease, depression. We don't seem to be moving from mess to shalom very quickly. And one of the hardest issues to accept is that God moves slowly. Not sometimes, but most of the time. At the macro level of the world, he moves slowly. At the micro level of our individual lives, the mess moves toward shalom very slowly. It's a slow crawl from chaos back to peace, from disorder to order, from formless to formed, from dark to light, from empty to full, from struggle to flourishing, the process is slow and painful and hard. And I know some of you feel the weight of God's slowness. We had a Thanksgiving Eve service this past Wednesday night, right here. Absolutely wonderful experience together. It's always one of my favorite gatherings of the year for a whole host of reasons I won't bore you with. But it was another one on Wednesday night. I really like what is happening in our church. I really like what is happening. I could be delusional. It wouldn't be the first time. But from what I see, what I sense, what I feel, I really like what's happening in our church. I like who we are becoming as a congregation. A community of unlikes. I've probably said this a thousand times, but something happened on Wednesday night where I looked around and listened and I thought, it's happening. A community of unlikes, but a soulful community, incredibly soulful community. There is this shared desperation that seems to be rising in our congregation. There is this beautiful thing we are learning. We are learning how to move toward each other in the power of God to bring encouragement and comfort. We're watching it happen. Where people recognize that your issue is partly my responsibility because we are a family. Your issue over here is partly your issue over there because we're brothers and sisters. We had a time of sharing on Wednesday night. We opened up Invite people to share whatever they want, somewhere along the theme of gratitude. And there were things shared by some of you that captured beautifully the heart of who we are seeking to become as a congregation. Some of you said things, and my thought as I sat here was, wow, I hope what they just said is true. Because that's a really good thing. But there's always this tension when there's a time of sharing. And you can feel it and sense it as well. It was evident the other night. And the tension is this, faith in God and what he's doing, this beautiful expression of confidence in God and a recognition of how broken and hard this world is. That's the tension we live in. Jesus has come and he's bringing forth his goodness in me 
slowly in you, slowly in this world, slowly. Eden is being restored, but the move from mess to Eden is terrifically slow. This is the adventure of life that we're in right now. In between the first advent, the one we're celebrating this month, and the second advent, his eventual coming again. And in between, we're faced with the fact that life is incomplete. It's an unfinished symphony. There is this now, but not yet component theologians have talked about forever. We experience Jesus' reign now, but not completely yet. Or to put it in our metaphor, we're moving, but we've not yet moved in and settled. So this is, in spite of everything, a hopeful plan. Second Peter 1.19, he says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. And here's the phrase I want us to lock into. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. A light shining in a dark place. A candle in a word. Hope. And throughout the Bible, God has a word for his people. The word of hope. No matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with, because God is so big and so good, and because he has a plan, and he's working it out in his time and in his way, even today as we sit here reading headlines to say, what's going to go wrong next? We can say with confidence, we actually have hope for this life and for the life to come. Eugene Peterson writes in one of his books, every tragedy that we experience will finally become a triumph. Every deficiency in our ability to see or hear or walk or speak will be cured by grace. Everything in our bodies that does not work will finally be made workable to the glory of God. Everything in our souls that does not respond to the will of God will become, through the power of forgiveness and the ministrations of mercy, an instrument of God's peace. The wholeness will be achieved on every level, material, physical, spiritual, personal, social. The wholeness will be the wholeness of the entire creation brought to a redeemed finish. Every hour of every day we live is a word or sentence or paragraph of the story that will finally come to this conclusion. I don't know about you, but I read something like that from a man far wiser than I ever could hope to be. And everything in me says, please God, let that be true. It's hard to believe, but please God, let that be true. God is competent. And he has a plan. And he's working out his plan. He's moving the mess toward resolution. He is indeed restoring Eden and our lives and our pains and our disappointments are part of what he is in the process of moving toward shalom, however slowly. 
So this Advent season, in light of the beauty of the Advent story, for those who follow Jesus, there is no better time than right now to be an agent of this hope. To find ways, even today, to bring hope to situations where there is anti-shalom. To be that agent of hope. To be that one who is one of God's governing agents, breathing hope into a world desperately needing it. To be an agent that is breathing hope into a world that is full of anti-shalom. To speak hope. To show hope in our actions. To take action that inspires hope in those who feel hopeless. When we are ambassadors of hope, we are cooperating with God's Spirit to restore Eden, and that is good work, and that is work that matters. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this ongoing, sometimes hard-to-remember and cling-to message that you have a plan, and you've had a plan since the very beginning. There's not been one minute moment of history where you have been scrambling around trying to figure out what to do next. And today we simply behold the beauty of your plan. We recognize it stretches all the way back to the beginning of your creative work. And it extends all the way into the future when your work of restoring Eden will be finished. When shalom will actually permeate everyone and everything who wants it to. And so we rest in that today. And we thank you that the coming of Jesus inaugurated a new era. The coming of Jesus brought power and presence in a way it had not been here before. The coming of Jesus brought the possibility of heaven once again being here on earth through the Spirit's power and work. And so we celebrate that today and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been good to be with you today. Manuel mentioned at the beginning he's been gone for a couple months on sabbatical. Most of you do not know that one of Manuel's Favorite foods on planet Earth, believe it or not, are Pop-Tarts. Now, how that's possible for a grown man, I do not know. But for as long as I've been here, Manuel has had Pop-Tarts. Watching Manuel eat a Pop-Tart is itself a work of art. Behold the beauty of Manuel eating a Pop-Tart. It's a beautiful thing. There are a bunch of Pop-Tarts in the back. I encourage you to hang around. Grab one or six and enjoy. And as you leave, may the grace and the peace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.